<clears throat> this morning I really would like you to <clears throat> keep in mind the body. It's an expression you find in meditation. To keep in mind, that means also it's like a synonym of awareness. To keep in mind what's going on now. You're not just distracted from what's going on, you're not confused, you conscious that maybe you feel confused, you're conscious that you feel tired, you're conscious that you feel kind of grumpy maybe. It's a refuge in awareness that we are concerned with, not so much the quality of the mind in terms of content. Content can be anything absolutely anything from hell to heaven and back and forth. In meditation we develop the mind that is learning to see clearly. The content of the mind that is constantly changing, so it's not so easy sometimes. <coughs> Things come and disappear very quickly. But with a focus on the body, body doesn't disappear so quickly. In the, when you are developing mindfulness, it's right here in the present moment with you. It's difficult to ignore it. And if you feel sleepy and you want to counteract the sense of sleepiness, which is one of the hindrances, sleepiness, loss and torpor, you can actually raise your back and open your eyes. The Buddha said to Mogalana, one of his disciples before he was an arahant, he saw Mogalana was sleeping. He was far away, but through psychic power, he saw that. Mogalana was sleeping and he kind of called him and said, Mogalana, you're sleeping. <laughs> Mogalana said, yes, Lord. And then he suggested a few things. One of them was quite drastic. You know, you sit on the edge of the cliff, walk backward. That really wakes you up. You'll be amazed how awake you are if you sit on the edge of a cliff. I have to read the sutta again, but it's kind of that kind of story about five or six advice. Splash yourself with water. Walk backwards, do walking meditation backwards. <clears throat> and in the end, he said, if you're tired, just go to sleep. <laughs> it's a very practical mind, Buddha. <laughs> just like, no kind of, oh, just pray, pray to the heavens to make you awake. Just, if you're retired, just go down and lie down and sleep. 
if you really can't do it. It means maybe your body is tired. You know, when the body is tired, it's just tired. That's it. You've been... So, when I see people, you know, dozing off or sleeping, I know for myself, when I'm tired physically, I really can, you know, I find it hard to stay upright. I mean, I can stay upright, but, you know, at some point it kind of, you know, I move forward or, but when I'm really a lot of energy, it's not a problem. It just stays upright without me thinking about it. So you just have to be kind to yourself. If you feel tired, maybe you need a holiday. <laughs> you probably thought your holiday would be at Amrawati at that time, but, <laughs> but it's holiday of the heart. You have a big, big holiday, it's totally unworldly holiday, it's a big holiday that just will have bare fruits for years to come, so don't worry about if you feel really totally miserable, <laughs> it's a particular kind of holiday, it's building up the refuge of awareness and consciousness, lose your expectation and you'll be much happier. And then the refuge in the Dhamma is really a vital refuge <coughs> which meditation provides. Little by little we understand that we can see things in medit from very different angles. But in Dhamma, you have seeing things from right view. It's a big word, capital R, capital V, right view. Samaditi, rather than instead of Micha Diti, wrong view. It's not a judgment, like Avija, it's not a judgment whether Avija is coursing your mind. It's just a fact, something has just happened when awareness, mindfulness, and the quality of wakefulness are absent. We lose our compass, so to speak, when we are unawake. So, taking refuge in Dhamma, Dhamma means the truth and Buddhist teaching, the Buddhist teaching means also nature. It's interesting how this word has different connotations. So for me personally, when I say I, I see things as Dhamma, it means I actually use the Buddhist teaching, which in which I have a great confidence. I use the Buddhist teaching to to kind of understand my present moment experience. So we have chanted this morning: <clears throat> form is not self, feeling is not self. Um, 
perception is not self, mental construct is not self, sense consciousness, eyes consciousness, ear consciousness, tactile consciousness, olfactive consciousness, mind is not self. So I explore. And you see, you don't need to think what is not self. It's very difficult for self to imagine its absence. <laughs> it's almost impossible. The only thing you know is if you explore the, what is what you think is me and self, and then you will know what is not self. Not in terms of concept, but in terms of realization. And that's the path that meditation provides. It's such a, an amazing thing to be able to explore this truth. And the most quick, the quickest way to get it really is to take a good look at your what you experience and just double check the, the 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 quality of your experience you know is it really me doing something and when it's changed have i pushed things away or or is it just the nature of mind and body to kind of the nature of impermanence am i doing this or is just happening by itself does it need me to change does it need an i or, is, or does it change it's the nature just a natural process is a nature So, when I take refuge in Dhamma, I am determined to see things as they are. And I have no idea how things are, are until I take a good look. I don't think about it. I don't imagine it. Although we can, if we want to. But actually, the way things are, it's just the way things are. And sometimes they are stuck, sometimes they are changing, sometimes they can see Anicca very clearly. And at other time, it seemed like it's never going to end. But then seeing things in the perspective of Dhamma is that you are aware of how your mind responds to the situation. It's never going to end. Emotionally, it's never going to end. It's going to be there forever. I'll die with this. And then... You just you lose that thought because you forget yourself for a second and suddenly it's gone. As you have, all of you have experienced that, you know. So taking refuge in Dhamma is actually taking refuge in exploring Anicca Dukkhanata. There's many aspects, of course. Taking refuge in Dhamma is actually using the teaching to uh, investigate your experiences. Not to believe in what the Buddha says, but you investigate them. Is it right? Is it really true? 
Is it really impermanent? Is it really dukkha? I mean, I've thought, I find a lot of things that were sukha in my life, even though the Buddha said it's dukkha. They were quite happy. So, you know, for a long time, we don't even see the dukkha of things that we have labeled as happy. Like simple things, like Maybe some of you are drink alcohol outside the monastery. I haven't really drank much alcohol in my life, but you know I can use maybe something I like to eat, for example, or something. So it's sukha when it's going on, lots of sukha, and you believe the more I get it, the more I feel happy. Whether it's drugs, it can be drugs, it can be or any kind of sensual pleasures. So, you get, you know, even though you made a, maybe a terrific determination not to get, not to take any more drug, any more alcohol, any, not to swear anymore, you might be, not to act upon an unskillful actions or speech or, but for some reason, the habit is strong. Sometimes people just love swearing. I was just, I just heard recently that one of the most princely-looking prime minister of France used to swear an awful lot. Love swearing. Don't ask me why. <laughs> he had a name with a particle de something, and someone <laughs> told me that. He looks totally royal in front of TV, but actually he's really enjoys swearing. So we have different way of looking at generating happiness in us, I suppose, <laughs> or oh, comfort, or oh, taking drugs. How many people just cannot help themselves taking a drug? And now drug can be, you know. Uh, you know, hash or LSD or whatever the newest drug that exists right now. But it can also, you can actually apply the same principle for the addiction to avidya. I often used to say we are addicted to delusion. By this, I mean... It's not that I is doing anything, it's, it just doesn't see the, the pain of delusion, and that's why it's addicted. Just like we don't see the pain of taking drugs. We feel relieved for a little while. And so it's a huge step when you suddenly want to free yourself from the delusion of the mind, the avidya of the mind. It's an enormous step in the human life. I think you should really congratulate yourself to just wake up to the point where you're actually interested in not living from a place of sleep, unawakened state of mind, from a place of, you know, carelessness and... You know, there's an chanting that we've done for a few days. It's like heedfulness in all things that arise. Heedfulness in all things that arise in the mind. 
That's a statement, isn't it? Not heedlessness, heedfulness, and heedfulness and mindfulness are close together. In fact, there is a, <clears throat> in the Dhammapada, there is a verse, heedfulness is a path to the deathless. Heedlessness is a path to death. Those who are heedful never die, but those who are heedless are as already dead. So this is a stanza that is, I don't have to believe in his word, but just what does that mean in terms of my experience of Dhamma? What does that mean? This is the word of the Buddha, the teaching of the Buddha. Just reflecting, what does that mean, the Dhamma? of these verses. Heedfulness is a path to the deathless. I matter what he means, the deathless. That's why Ajahn Sumedhu gave it its name. He didn't even know, apparently, that there was an Amaravati in India, from what I recall. But he wanted to make this place, to, to, uh, to associate this place with the in a way, the highest level of the Buddhist teaching is a realization of Nibbana, the deathless, the peace of birthless mind that stopped being born into dukkha through avidya. So, just spend a few minutes just to let what I've been telling you, it's quite a lot, so I've been telling you just to let it sink in. Don't need to hold on to anything of what I said, just let it percolate gently. Just to, maybe just to finish, I'll talk about this refuge in the Sangha at another time, but in terms of Dhamma, notice there's a, a way of seeing things in terms, of, in terms of me and mine, my suffering, my body, my thoughts, my feelings, my perception, and there's nothing wrong with that, you know, it's like as long as we 
out of that view, we get caught up in me and mine, and the me and mine is a part of the mind that is built up on all the stories of your life from birth till now. And some of them are pleasant story, others are awful memories, and so on. So instead of you know, you can look at this in a in a psychological way. You can you know it's quite interesting on a psychological level just to see how your mind responds, what the mind does, uh, how it's influenced, and so on. You can lit, you can keep it on the psychological level, and maybe investigate. You know how you. Why you behave the way you do, why you think the way you do, why you you are the way you are, and so on. But also, when you take refuge in Dhamma, you start taking the risk of moving in a different direction. So there is thought, there is dukkha, there is hurt and pain in me. I feel the hurt and pain. But is there anybody who is feeling that as an I? Or it's just a feeling that's associated with a mental object, like a memory. So this is seeing things in terms of Dhamma, rather than me experiencing something. And the me can really be feel terribly kind of threatened just to be told you not you don't exist. You don't tell your eye that you don't exist. You just realize that when you look at the thought. I am this way and that way. It's just words passing through the mind, even though they may relate to something real. You don't want to dismiss that. But you want to question how real are they in the present moment when you see them as coming and going, coming and going, coming and going. That's the work of meditation to make you realize when something comes and goes all the time, doesn't last, doesn't stay, doesn't... What reality does it have? It has a momentary reality, but it's not permanent. It's not me all the time. It's a feeling, it's a thought, it's an I. I is a thought, comes and goes. Sometimes we forget ourselves, you notice. So it's not a question of forgetting ourselves or remembering ourselves and creating a sense of me and I increasing that tendency to think that there is a doer in us, there is somebody here who is in charge. It's unfortunate when Avija is in charge. And it's fortunate when we wake up to maybe the damage of Avija. And sometimes through Avijja, also we wouldn't be so addicted to Avijja if he wasn't giving us this, this, this kind of state of affair was not giving us also a lot of good things. So during the day today, you just begin to notice who is walking. Who is feeling this? 
You don't even have to say it, but keep the mind awake, you know, what's happening? I feel tired. Is that true? Double check. Maybe you are tired. I've challenged my tiredness many, many times. It was all a lie. Not always. But often enough to really make me interested to keep on challenging these things rather than believing a feeling or believing this or that. Challenging. Questioning. Questioning. 